And we are back with part two of the Tulip Pink episode of the Quilter on Fire podcast. It is just a few days after Christmas 2022, and I hope you are having a wonderful break, a joyful holiday, and all that good stuff. The gifts are always so lovely if you celebrate Christmas, but my favorite part is time with family, especially around dinners and outdoors in the wilderness. We had quite a cold snap in the Okanagan this year before the holidays, but it was back to beautiful weather with big, fat, fluffy snowflakes on Christmas Day. If you actually want to see me for a moment enjoying the snow on Christmas Day, go check that out on TikTok. Just search Quilter on Fire. But let's get into part two of the Tula Pink Adventure. But wait, if you have not listened to part one, go back and check it out. Don't disappoint me. If you are here listening today, I know you can go back and find part one of the Tula Pink episode. It's the first half of this wonderful story, and you do not want to miss a thing. I have never received so much love and so many emails from you after a podcast episode. Never. This first Tula Pink episode broke 4,000 listens in just the first week. It smashed my all-time previous records for the life of any episode in just the first week. But I don't know, enough about Tula, right? Just kidding. This episode, part two, is all about Tula, and it is the rest of our wonderful interview. So let's get right into it, shall we? Hello and welcome to the Quilter on Fire podcast, where I explore quilting stories that will inspire, motivate, and bring you more joy and less overwhelm in the studio. I'm your host, Brandy Maslowski, also known as the Quilter on Fire, and I can't wait to share this week's episode with you. So here we go. Here's a little recap of my intro from last week. Tula Pink is a fabric designer, quilt maker, influencer, and playful personality on the quilting scene. Everything that bursts out of her mind and onto fabric sells like hotcakes, faster than quilt stores can even stock it. She has a family business that runs like a well-oiled machine, and when she goes to quilt market, she is on the leading edge of innovation and fresh design. She even has legions of fans called Tula Troops. We were just about to get into the three fabric lines in the coming soon area of her website, so let's continue with part two of my chat with Tula Pink. Okay, so the last category I'm glancing at on the side here on the website is coming soon. Yeah. And so Moon Garden is is which is that out already? Which it's, one's out? Yeah, right it's out. It just shipped yeah. in the last couple of weeks. Like I think it's still shipping. Like it's in yeah. in process. Okay, so let's talk about. So there's three in there. There's Moon Garden, Neon Dots and Stripes, and Everglow. Those are in the coming soon category. So let's yeah. start with Moon Garden. Moon Garden. So that one, that collection was interesting because. I want to do something darker, which I don't often do. And I'd done so many, like, especially Tiny Beast was sort of like the pinnacle of the rainbow collection, like covering every color base in the spectrum. And I was like, you know what I really miss is doing colorways that are really specific, you know, yeah. that it's like this, these colors all go together and it's the same colors in different orders in every print. And I hadn't done that in a long time because I've been doing the spectrum thing for a while. And, and so I knew I wanted to do that. And then I'm always, you know, there, there are things that I say I will never do. One of the things I've always said I would never do was a snake. I'll do every animal, but I will never do a snake. I am terrified of snakes. 
They scare me. They creep me out. So the one thing I never, I said I would never, ever do is a snake. I've said it for years. I've said it in lectures. I've said it all the time. I have a real strong rebellious undercurrent to my nature, even against myself. And so all those years of saying I would never do a snake, I was like, well, now that's exactly what I have to do because no one will see it coming. Right. And I was like, how can I do a snake? Which snakes are terrifying to me. Like they totally freak me out. And so I was like, how can I make this something I want to use? And so that was my challenge that I set for myself was making a snake that would be beautiful and interesting enough to get people sort of past their, this fear, because it's, I'm not the only one who feels this way about snakes. Like there are great lovers of snakes, but there are far more people who are scared of them like me. And so that's what I started with. And I drew the snake and then I built the collection around it. Like what would live in the same place as the snake? And and how do I make the snake cute and accessible and not scary and all of these things? And so that's really what Moon Garden is about. It was about that snake. That's where yeah. it started. And now that's probably my favorite fabric I've ever designed. And it's really funny to me when people are like, oh, I love this line, but the snake, I don't like the snake. And it's... <laughs> It's like, okay, I get that. It will end up being the bestseller. Anytime something is like polarizing. Yeah. You know, like in that way, like artistically, like people get really, really into it, but it's really interesting because people, and it's like, okay, yeah. Like I get a real snake, like for sure. But I also don't want a raccoon like sitting on my head. Like, you know, I love animals, but I don't necessarily want them on me all the time. Like it's fabric. It's not real, but. It's funny. The reaction I had to that one was strong and expected. Like I knew it was coming. So I was ready for it. But so that's where Moon Garden started. And then I did like all I kind of tried to focus on like night blooming things like so there's an Mm -hmm. owl in it, you know, like things that like that occur at night and that can live in this sort of darker world. Yeah. And that snake is, that snake is so smooth. Like it's, it's a darker fabric, but it's, it's intertwined amongst the flowers. It's kind of hidden, but not, it it really worked well. It really, really worked well. Yeah. Okay. So let's talk about neon dots and stripes. So all the neons are Everglow. Yeah. So it's all sort of part of Everglow. It's kind of like tiny bees that had tiny dots and stripes, which, which lives in true colors, but it's all a part of tiny bees and uh, the neon dot stripes and fairy flakes are also a part of Everglow, but will live on past Everglow. Yeah. So Everglow, it started out funnily enough as a collection of neutral solids. So it started out as a collection of solids because we we were feeling like we needed to add to the solids. We hadn't really touched that in a while. And I was like, well, the only thing I feel like I don't have is like more neutral colors. And so we went through the whole process of getting all these neutral solid colors. There were like 30 colors or something like that. And I got them all in and I was like, they're beautiful, but they're not me. Like it's, it's not, you know, they're great. And I think they're really useful and they're beautiful, but I feel like someone else could have done this, you know, and it just didn't feel like me. Even the original solids felt like me, like the saturation levels and all of that, but these, these just didn't. And I was like, the only way to get the, I still love the neutral colors. And I still think that tulip pink world is missing that neutrality. They just felt too sort of docile. So I was like, 
you know, because it's like, if my spectrum is in the middle, like my normal spectrum is in the middle, like bright is my baseline neutral is below it. So I was like, okay, we have to go above the baseline to add something super over the top in terms of color in order to make these neutrals feel right with my other stuff. Yeah. So of course the natural natural thing to add to it was neon, you know, go completely the other direction. And so we took these sort of neon base colors and added, and that's what started the dot stripes and fairy flakes, which is sort of an enlarged version of fairy dust. It's got like a bird and hearts and stars, but they're big. I love it. And we added those in the, in the corresponding neon colors. So if it was a really neutral sort of grayed down purple, then we added neon purple on it. If it was a grayed down sort of like wheat color, we added neon yellow on top of it. So like (sighs) it's counterpart. Right. And it was just like, it it was so great. And I was so into it. And I said, I mean, the way I would use these is with my normal fabrics. Like I would use these in with my normal prints. And so I was showing my creative director. I was like, like I would use these neons and neutrals with this purple fabric or with this sort of greenish fabric that is like a main print from another collection. And she's like, how do we communicate that to people that this is designed to be used in conjunction with other things? I said, well, probably the best way would be to design new focal prints to tie them all together. So then each mini colorway, which there's eight mini neon and neutral colorways from purple to, you know, purple, pink, red, orange, yellow, green, blue, is to design a focal print that tied that one together that uses the colors I normally use, but then we'll put a little tiny hit of the neon in it just to communicate to people that this goes with this. Like this is what ties these together. And so we ended up with this like really magical, I mean, I was just like, I'm still so into it. And it's just this really cool collection that's, I think, really unexpected, but really useful. It doesn't seem like something so out there would be so useful, but it's deeply useful. And yeah, we ended up in this with this really cool, really cool space with it. Yeah. And I got to get into some of the details because the animals are like, okay, let me just tell you, like, for some reason, I'm really keying on the elephant's butt. Like, I just love this. I love, like, I love his little butt, you know? And (laughs) of course the hippopotamus with the butterflies and the bird sitting on the back, you know, oh my gosh, the, the animals are just incredible. The hippos, like fat little bodies under the water. I know. I know. They're so great. Fish everywhere. I mean, as, as a big girl myself, I'm always really drawn to like the chubby animals. It's like, I just think they're so cute. (laughs) And when you look at all the shadows, they're all swimming in a different way. It's just adorable. Yeah. I love it. Well, and what I learned in doing that, because I had to, I had to sort of research how hippos swim because it it actually, when I started to draw it, I was like, how does this make sense? So when I was drawing the hippos, I was like, how do these things swim? And what I discovered is they don't swim. They walk. Oh, interesting. So they're never actually swimming. They're they more just sort of like walk across the the ground yeah. and and like d- peek their heads up. So that was fun to like make them do that. But you know, that's one of those inside looking out things. Like I was like drawing swimming hippos, and then I was like, how does this actually work so that I can draw this right? And yeah. then had to look it up and find out that it doesn't actually work that way. So I had to 
sort of re because I had them sort of more doggy paddling in the beginning. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's how I assume they did it. So, you know, sometimes you got to do a little research to figure out how a hippo swims. So you know how to draw its chubby little butt underwater. Yeah. Okay. So let's talk about a few of your collaborations. So we were talking neon already. So let's talk about Orville. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I love Orville very, very deeply. I've worked with them for years. I, I, they were, we were talking the other day and they said that I was like really one of their very first thread collaborators, which I actually didn't know that. And so we've been working together for, I want to say like 10. No, maybe it can't be that long. I don't know. Forever, it seems. But I just love their thread. It's never let me down. And that's why I keep working with them. And when I I emailed them and I said, okay, I'm coming out with this new collection. And I I'm going to have to start making samples in in about six, eight months, you know, of this new collection. And I have looked everywhere for neon cotton thread and it just like does not exist i can't find it anywhere and so i said you know is there a reason that there's no neon cotton thread there's neon nylon there's neon poly thread there's all kinds of other neon threads but i can't find anything in cotton and i am a dominantly a cotton thread user so so they're like well i don't know let's see if we can do it And so they went to work trying to figure out if they could do a neon thread. And what we discovered is that in order to stabilize it, to stabilize the neon, it can't be a true neon, which is essentially like a glow in the dark. I mean, true neon glows to a degree. And they're like, if we do that, it destabilizes the color. So we can, we're going to take it as close as we can possibly get it so that it's optically neon without being chemically neon. And so that's what they were able to do. And I sent them some like early swatches of the fabric colors and they matched it gloriously. And I mean, to the eye perceptively, it's neon, but it isn't chemically neon. So that way the quilts can still be washed. It can still be color fast. It can still, the color still stabilized. And they really did a lot of work on that. And I'm super grateful that they like answer my call when I have weirdo ideas like that. (laughs) That's so great. And that neon is available now in stores, right? No, it'll be available in March. Okay. So that, so that neon is coming soon in stores. It's coming soon. So it's coming with, there's three versions of the collection that we're releasing because it is a limited edition color. So thread has to be produced in pounds. It's not like yardage, like minimums or it's poundage, which is interesting to me. So it's, Three new limited edition colors, neon yellow, neon orange, and neon pink. Those are the most neon colors. When you get into the cooler spectrum, they're not truly neon anymore. They're just bright colors. So those were the three sort of true neons. And so we developed those three new colors. And so on small spools, they'll be in a 20 spool pack with... 16 neutrals and the neons. So, cause we have to have the neutrals in there too. Cause that's what the base of the collection is. So there's like four sort of color categories. There's all kinds of bright neon pink, purpley pinky grays. Then there's sort of neutral orangey peachy colors and that has the neon orange. So it's, it's a collection of four palettes in a 20 spool box. And then we also have 
a 12 spool box that features the large spools, the 1,422 yard spools, which are more of a machine sewing thing. The small spools I use more for hand sewing. Yeah. I do use them on my machine for bag making, but when I get into a quilt, I need a big, a big spool of thread. I don't want to be stuffing a bunch. So 12 large spools with the three neons. And then we also did a neon only pack of three large neon spools. So And then each one has a different animal from the Everglow collection on. So if you get all three, then you get all the animals for the whole collection. So with Aurifil in general, have you sort of been having Aurifil collections come out with different fabric collections or have you, how has that? Yeah, I I mean, I don't do them with every collection because I often feel that a previous collection will work because I, you know, as much as I think I'm changing my colors all the time, I'm really not, you know, and so many of my collections are rainbow that I find that often like the curiouser and curiouser thread collection will work for many of my fabric collections. So I don't really put out a new collection just to put out a new collection, you know, cause I'm a consumer too. And I, I want the things that I buy to be useful And I don't want people, if I find that with a new fabric collection, if I'm picking out the threads for it, and I find that a lot of those threads already exist in a previous collection, then I won't redo it. Yeah. But with this one, with Everglow, these are colors I've never used before in any thread kit I've ever put together. So they're wildly different than anything that's come before it. So, but yeah, I put out new collections every year. They're just based on different things. Yeah, sounds good. So let's talk. We can't go through this podcast without talking about Bernina. So you're an international spokesperson and an ambassador. And have you designed three machines for them? Yes, I have designed three machines for them. I am a avid Bernina fan. And I actually went to them and asked if they had any program that I could participate in because I was talking about Bernina anyway. And I was like... Why not do this in a more targeted way? And I didn't even know they had an ambassador program. And I was like, listen, I love Berninas. I sew on a Bernina. I'm a super big fan. Like, can we work together in some way, you know, that benefits both of us? And they're like, oh, well, we have this ambassador program. So I did that. And then after being an ambassador for a while, they had a Facebook contest to design the faceplate for a new machine. This was years ago. I want to say like, eight, nine years ago. I don't know how long it was, but again, time, not my thing, but a long time ago, they had this, this competition and they invited like 20 different designers, like industry designers to design a new faceplate for the Bernina and myself and Ricky Tims won that contest. And, and I was very committed to winning that contest. Like this was not fun and games for me. I wanted my <laughs> name on Bernina so bad. I would have done just about anything for it. So, and it turns out all I had to do is what I do best. So, so I designed that 350 and then I want to say it was four or five years later, they came back and they're like, you know, we want to try this again, but on a bigger machine, what machine would you like to work on? And I said, well, I sew on a 770. And so I would like to be on a seven series, any seven series. I think it's the greatest machine of all time. I love it to pieces. And so I designed the seven series and this was after I had already launched my Tulip Pink hardware collection. Mm -hmm. So that was like a new thing for me where I was making scissors and rotary cutters with Brewer And we were manufacturing all of these hardware pieces and they're like, okay, so design the faceplate. I was like, okay, 
I could design the faceplate or we can do like a really sophisticated sort of subtle faceplate and we can take all the metal bits on the machine and make them electroplated neochrome to match my scissors. Oh my gosh. And they're like, we can't do that. I'm like, oh no, can. <laughs> you can do it. And so after a lot of R and D and they really went, th- I don't know, maybe I don't know if I'm pushy or charming that I get people to do these things, but, but they do them and I'm so grateful. And that machine is just so stunning. And so we, we developed it. They found a way to actually neochrome or electroplate the thread cover and the metal base on the machine. And then we did a polka dot faceplate because I really wanted you to just see the metal because it was so different. No one's ever done it on a sewing machine before. It was totally unique. And I really wanted the focus to be there. And so we went through like all the R&D research and development on that. And they're like, you know, we could do this on the five series also. Like, what do you think about that? And I was like, more the merrier. So we did it on the five series. And I had actually never sewn on a five series, not the new version of the five series. I had an older 530 that they didn't actually make anymore. They had moved on to this sort of larger model of the five series. And, and I will say that five series is probably, I I would have a hard time picking between the five and the seven at this point. I am shocked at how much I sew on my 570. It's a beautiful machine, but yeah, so I've done three machines with them and hopefully more someday, but I love working with Bernina. And so do you have like, you have, you own those machines obviously with the designs on them? Oh, like, did you buy many. a bunch of them? <laughs> yes, I them? did buy a bunch of them. My mom bought a bunch of the 350. <laughs> I own personally, like with my own money, I own 13 Berninas. Wow. <laughs> I used to have 14, but I gave one up recently and in favor of something else. So I still have several 350s because I also have my own 770s that I owned previous to having the ones with my name on them. Of course, the ones with my name on them are the ones I use most, but, but I have, I have a gold 770. I have a a rose gold 770. I have the silver seven, you know, it's like, I mean, but it's really great because when I get together and so with friends and they come out to me, I provide all the machines so they don't have to bring machines on airplanes. So I'm a really good addition to your sewing group because <laughs> I provide Bernina's out of boxes. Like I, I show up with them in their original box <laughs> and we unbox them and everybody's got their own Bernina seven series and yeah. it's, it's a pretty good time. Okay. That sounds good. And you also did some great things with Renaissance ribbons. Tell us oh, about that. I adore Renaissance ribbons. They're a little, little company that makes a beautiful, beautiful product. And I've been designing ribbons, like woven jacquard ribbons with them for years. And I mean, the things that they can achieve in a weaving, the details they can achieve. I mean, these things are so brilliantly made. They're so fine. The quality is outrageous. And I am constantly shocked by what they can pull off because my designs are really detailed. It's not always an easy thing. to take my designs and transfer them to a half inch ribbon, you know? Um, And then recently I, you know, I've been making a lot more bags in the last several years than I used to. I never used to make bags, but then I discovered for me, other people had discovered her long before me, but patterns by Annie. And she makes, she designs these 
sewing bag patterns that are just insanely useful. And I love, love, love the way she writes a pattern. I think she's one of the most brilliant pattern writers I've ever come across. It's a fine line between too much information and not enough. Both are detrimental. And I feel like she rides that line better than almost anybody I've ever seen, especially because bag making for me is hard. Like I'm a quilter, I'm a patchworker, like that's where I'm comfortable. And so making 3D objects does not come easily or natural for me. And every time I make one of her patterns, it just turns out so well. And I started making so many of them and I don't like to make handles. Handles are boring to make. They're super annoying. I don't like doing it. I hate it. And so I have always used like webbing, like looked for interesting webbings to use on my handles of my bags instead of having to turn a handle out of fabric. And I prefer nylon webbing because it doesn't absorb the oils of your hands. So, which is important on a handle of a bag, right? And it's easier to clean and it's easier to work with and it doesn't fray because you can just sort of melt the edges to seal it up. And so I went to, and, and creating webbing is a weaving process. And so it occurred to me one day that ribbons are also a weaving process, which probably should have occurred to me much sooner, but that's how slow my brain works. But, and so I went to Renaissance and I said, okay, you're, you're weaving ribbons. Can we weave webbing? And she's like, I don't know. Let's see if we can. And so I sent her a bunch of colors and I thought these would be great webbing colors. And she sent me back this vast array of weaving. She's like, I think we can do this. And so it was kind of new for both of us. And it's just brilliant. I mean, in my opinion, they're the best webbings I've ever worked with because nylon tends to be, tends to feel weird, but these are both strong, but don't feel thick. They're easy to sew. They're easy to get a needle through. The colors are just so vibrant and it's just such an exceptional quality like her ribbons which is why I was really excited to go to her with this because her eye for quality is above and beyond yeah and I knew that she would find the best way to weave this webbing and she Mm -hmm. did and so it's it's really one of my favorite products that we've come out with in a long time yeah. And you have so many amazing products. Like, so let's talk about Brewer for a minute because we don't want to sure. skim over these amazing, no. like, do you call them iridescence? <laughs> what do you call them? We call them lots of things. Oil slick is popular, <laughs> but you know, it's funny. This was the hardware that I work on. So basically Brewer came to me and said, you know, we want to develop a product with you. Sky's the limit. What is it? Yeah. And I was, and I said, well, the thing I need and the thing quilt shops need is, is a good quality scissor rotary cutter hardware product that they can't be undercut by chain stores. So that's like a real, it's, it's mostly an American issue, I believe, but there's a real difference of industries between chain stores and independent stores. And my fabric is only sold, sold in independent stores. And and I was like, you know, there's there's some there's some good products on the market, but it's all very like almost feels kind of corporate, like it's yeah. it's silver or black or you yeah. know, it's just it's sort of basic but beautiful. But 
I was like, there's got to be like a cooler version of this hardware that's just for us, right? Yeah. That's just for quilters and home sewers. That's like made for us, kind of by us sort of a thing. And, and they're like, let's try it. Right. So, and then Cameron, my brother, he's very in the cars as, as we we kind of all are as a family, like fast things are fun. And, and he had a lug nut from his wheel that was coated in this electroplated. So it was rainbow. And he's like, I'm going to bring this to the meeting and see if they can do this. He's like, I think that would be really cool. So in all honesty, it was Cameron's idea, not mine. So, I mean, it has my name on it, so I get the credit, but really it was his. He has very, very good ideas. But so we, and we do that a lot. We bring sort of things that we're interested in, in from other industries into this industry. And this was one of those crossovers because this was, you know, becoming a really popular thing in the automotive industry which is what we do on the weekends. And so we brought it into this and we got that first sample back and we were just completely blown away. We're like, this is the most beautiful sewing implement I've ever seen. And so that became sort of a signature that we brought into Bernina later. And then with Brewer, we started with scissors, but it's really a notions line, like Mm -hmm. just sort of a general notions line. And we wanted to call it Tula Pink Hardware because we wanted to have this sort of like genderless, like, these are our tools, you know, like these are the quilter, the sewers tools, like just like a hammer is another person's tool. This is our tool for making. And so we called it tulip pink hardware for that reason. And it encompasses a lot of things. We make project bags, you know, straight pins, we need USB, like for keeping your PDF patterns that look like little unicorns that were hilarious and amazing, like all kinds of things, but yeah. it's really a notions line for yeah. sewers. I love it. There's so many, there's so many great things. So, and if you want to take a look at the Tulip Pink hardware, go to tulipink.com, click on the product section, and there's an overview of everything that, sh- that she has ever made. And yeah. they're available mm-hmm. at local quilt shops all over the place. So yep. check, check your local quilt shop. And if they don't have them, ask them to bring it in. <laughs> yeah. And online. And we have a listing on the website that we try to keep as up to date as possible of stores all over the world that carry the products. Okay. So now I know that you love English paper piecing. You're like, you're, you're like an absolute beast when it comes to English paper I piecing in the best way. But tell us the story of the gigantic Millefiori quilt. Oh my gosh. Okay. So it wasn't my first English paper piecing project. So the quilt pattern is called La Passacaglia. Yeah. And most people call it La Paz because it's a mouthful. So, and it came from this book that was put out, oh gosh, I don't even know when, but by a French publishing company and years ago. And I actually found it at like a yard sale, like a a yard sale of a quilter. And I, and I pulled out this book and it was the most insane quilts I'd ever seen. I mean, these things were insane, just completely bonkers. Like I'd never really seen anything like it. And so I bought the book for, I want to say like 50 cents or whatever at this yard sale. And, and I fell in love with the La Paz quilt and I wanted to make it, but the actual finished quilt was like, I want to say like 48 by 55 or something really small. Yeah. And I don't make really small things. If it doesn't, if it won't cover my body, I'm not interested in it because that's what a quilt is to me. The beauty of a quilt is that it's utilitarian. So I want it to be useful. 
And, and so I took the pattern as I do with someone else's pattern. I always find a way to sort of change it into something else. And I took the templates and I just blew them up like a random amount. I I can't even tell you, it was like 247% or something stupid. You know, it was not like a standard increase in scale. And, and I felt like the best way to execute it was to English paper piece it. It, I don't know that it was an English paper piecing pattern to begin with. Yeah, It might've been, but I don't know that for sure. But so I blew it up and because paper pieces didn't have these 247% increase pattern pieces on their website, I hand cut all the pieces out of cardstock, which will, I will never, ever do that again. It was a total nightmare and it completely sort of negates the whole English paper piecing process because the pieces have to all be identical. When you hand cut them, that's never going to happen. So total nightmare to make this thing. I mean, it was just so, it took me four years to make this quilt. And that was when I was traveling a lot. So I would say like 75% of the quilt was made on airplanes, Yeah, you know, cause I was doing a lot of international traveling then Australia, I mean, 22 hours on a plane, like gives you a lot of time to work on quilts. And I just made this a little by little over time and it kind of, and I was showing my progress on social media and stuff. And it actually ended up becoming like really popular and they ended up reprinting the book because so many people were looking for it. And now there's like Millie Fiore quilts, two, three, four, and five. So the author of the book is William Hammerstein. I I don't know that I'm saying that right. I've only ever read the name. I've never heard it spoken. So if that's wrong, I apologize. And I believe she's a Dutch quilter. And so it was like a Dutch quilter published by a French magazine. Very international affair this yeah. whole thing, but it's, she's a brilliant quilt designer. I mean, I just so much respect and I'd love to meet her one day actually, but it was a quilt mania. That's who published the book. I'm like, I know the name it's in my yeah. brain somewhere. Yeah. Um, quilt mania published the book, I believe originally, and then the republish and yeah, it was just, but that's kind of how I get into something. I mean, that quilt, I had English paper piece a little bit before, like hexagons and sort of simpler things. Yeah. But this really kind of took my English paper piecing to the next level, which is sort of how I do it. I mean, I'm teaching myself applique now and I'm doing sort of approaching it the same way. I sort of find the hardest thing or the yeah. most elaborate thing that I can find. And I figure just dive into the deep end. By the time I'm done with it, I'll have a skill. Yeah. And so that's how I approach English paper piecing with that quilt specifically. And that's how I'm approaching my intro to applique now. I'm just finding something really insane and then just diving into the middle of it. And I figure by the time I'm done with it, I'll have a competency of some kind. Yeah. So some of those pieces went missing at some point. So tell us about that. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. So this is sort of a funny story. I mean, it's funny now. So I was actually in Australia at a quilt festival in Sydney and I was on the home stretch of this quilt. Like I was almost done and I had brought with me enough pieces to baste, like enough, enough basted pieces to sew to get me through the trip. Cause I was there for like three weeks 
And then I had the flight there, the flight back, and then the flight around. I mean, Australia is a huge country. So there were a lot of flights within Australia. So I I knew I'd have tons of time to work on it. And I was so close to being done. And I was trying to get it done because it was going to be in the show at International Quilt Festival that fall. And when they had asked me to put the, my La Paz, they were going to do a whole display of La Paz quilts. And, and they asked me, they're like, since you kind of had a hand in starting this thing off, we yeah. would really like your quilt in the show. I was like, yeah. And they're like, it's finished. Right. And I was like, of course it is. It was not finished. I don't know <laughs> why. I don't know why I lied and said it was <laughs> like, I, I have no idea why I just let that fall out of my mouth, but it did. And so now I had to finish it. Right. Yeah. And I didn't have a ton of time to finish it, but I, I needed it because I also had to have it quilted and it's 120 inches by 120 inches. Mm. It's huge. And, and so I had brought the last like four blocks that I needed to make with me. And I had them in a little place for everything bag that I had been carrying around the whole trip. And I was at this festival in Australia, in Sydney, big, big quilt festival, super cool festival. And, and I was sitting in a booth doing book signings and I had put the bag down and I was doing my signings and taking pictures and all of that good stuff. And I went to go get up and the bag was gone. The whole bag um, stolen. So all the thread, all my little scissors, all, you know, all my basted pieces, everything, somebody walked off with it. And, and I, I, and I was so shocked because honestly that had never happened. Like, you know, it's like, I feel like I could leave a stack of cash on a table at a quilt show and it will still be there when I come back. So it was weird. And, and so I posted on Facebook or on Instagram or whatever it was, this was several years ago. I said, Hey, no harm, no foul. You can have anything in the bag I just need the pieces back yeah like turn it into lost and found tomorrow at the festival I'll be there I'll pick it up I'll never ask a question about it like I don't care you can have the bag it's a great bag and there was hardware like brand new scissors and everything in there because I just launched the hardware it's like you can have all of it all I need are the basted pieces that are in the bag well and so And it had to be somebody who didn't know me that took it because anybody who knew my work or knew me, the bag was made out of unreleased fabric that wasn't coming out for months. So you wouldn't have been able to like show it to anybody because it would be immediately obvious that it was stolen because I was the only person in the entire world who had that fabric and that was well known. Right. So, so I feel like it was just a random thing, a random person, like, that just walked off with it. I don't know why, but so I got to the festival the next day and most of the people at the festival had seen my post, this bag had walked away and I was really careful not to say, not to like criminalize it, you know, yeah. like, cause I didn't want, I didn't want to scare the person off. I was like, Oh, there was some kind of accident. Someone walked off my bag. I mean, it was clear what happened, but yeah. like I was trying to be nice about it cause I wanted it back. Right. And, and it was so crazy as I walked down the aisles of this festival and it was large, like the quote festival here in Houston, you know, and everybody had seen it. It was like the scandal of the show, the Tula Pink sewing bag gotten stolen and I didn't have anything to do on the 22 hour flight home and, (sighs) you know, all of this stuff. And as I walked down the aisles at that festival, almost every single booth gave me something to sew on the plane 
Oh, and that's awesome. Like I walked by, you know, like one booth, they gave me like thread snippers. One booth gave me needles. One booth gave me a glue pen. One gave me piece paper pieces. One gave me fabric. One, like, it was like, it was all replaced just out of generosity. I didn't ask wow. for it or anything. And so I didn't use any of that to make my La Paz quilt. I came home and finished that at a later time, but, yeah. or when I got back. But I used all of those materials to just make one quilt. Uh, Jen Kingwell gave me a pattern and pieces, one of her patterns and pieces, the smitten quilt that her daughter, Lucy Carson Kingwell wrote. Sue Daly gave me glue and needles and, you know, like all these Australian vendors gave me all of these things. And, and it was so cool. So I made one quilt out of just the fabric, just the things that people gave me, like I didn't add anything else into it. And that quilt to me is still one of my favorite quilts because it represents sort of the kindness of our community. Yeah. The way we sort of get together and help each other. That brings me right into my next question, actually. This is the last question before the break. What brings you joy? Uh, What brings me joy is working with my hands on anything. I mean, that's my thing. Drawing works with my hands, piecing and sewing works with my hands. I love to bake. I work with my hands, like working with my hands is when I am a hundred percent the happiest. Yeah. Oh, that's so great. Okay. Right now we're going to take a quick commercial break. And then when we come back, we're going to talk all about Tula's studio space, which I'm guessing might be the size of a warehouse. We're going to talk about what's coming up next and quickly do her lightning round Robin. You don't want to miss this. We'll be right back. So here's who's supporting the podcast today. Without advertising, this podcast would not happen. And every one of today's podcast sponsors has contributed to the prize and one lucky listener will win it all on January 1st. Today's advertisers are Free Spirit Fabrics, Orophil, and Oliso. Free Spirit designer Tula Pink's iconic fabrics are sought after by makers across the globe. Her signature designs have been adapted to fabrics, woven ribbons, paper products, needlepoint kits, embroidery patterns, and sewing machines, and can be found in independent fabric shops and retailers all over the world. Tula is most recognized in the industry for her dark sense of humor, a flair for hiding animals in the strangest of places, artistically, not literally, and her boldly unique use of color and pattern. You can learn more about Tula at freespiritfabrics.com or through her social media channels at Tula Pink. Orophil is an accomplished Italian company based in Milan, Italy, who specialize in the production of the highest quality 100% cotton threads from the Mako region of Egypt. The threads have achieved worldwide success thanks to a dedicated community of sewists, quilters, designers, artisans, and craftspersons who herald the thread for its versatility, its strength, and the fact that it produces virtually no lint. In 2023, Orophil will celebrate 10 years of partnership with the amazing Tula Pink by launching a brand new collaboration. Three custom colors of 50-weight thread dyed to match the neon hues in Tula's upcoming Everglow collection. Be sure to subscribe to Orophil's newsletter for more information. The Oliso TG1600 Pro Plus Smart Iron has iTouch technology. Simply touch the handle and the iron lowers. Ready to work. Take your hand off and the patented scorch guards lift the iron off the board, preventing scorches, burns, and tipping. It's not only safer, but it also saves time as well as your wrists. 
12-foot swivel cord, 12.7-ounce water tank, and ceramic flow sole plate are just a few of its new features. Pair it with the M2 Pro Mini Project Iron and your pressing needs are complete. Follow them for more at Oliso Home on Instagram. And we are back with Tula Pink. Tula, I want to talk about your studio space. I can't even imagine how you store, keep, process all the fabric that you create. But can you give us a glimpse into your studio? Yeah. I mean, my studio is what is supposed to be my living room in my house and always has been. So in every place I've ever lived, I've never had a living room. Like I've never owned a full-size sofa. So yeah, I mean, I think people like assume that it's something grander, but it isn't. It's my living room because this is where I live. It's a living room and my dining room, to be honest, but it's just the main section of my house. I mean, to be fair, my house is very strange. It's not like a normal house. Yeah, It actually used to be a carriage house and barn and hay loft. So it's like a three-story, it's not house-like at all. It looks a little bit like a, like, a big brick block. Yeah. <laughs> it looks a little bit like a warehouse, but it isn't one. So that's where my studio is. Uh, storing all that product actually happens offsite. So I have, I do have like a more traditional warehouse situation where I store my archive because uh, okay. keep it in my house. It would be insane. Yeah. Like, um, I mean, where do you even put all, like you have samples for everything. Where do you put I do. I do in the warehouse, (laughs) most of it. The quilts stay with me, but most things go to, I I mean, saying warehouse makes it sound like massive. It's not, it's, it's decent, but it's not like a crazy, like warehouse, but it's, it's really cool. So we have all of my archive there, all of my bolts. I only keep in the studio what's current. So I keep in the studio, all the fabrics that are currently in stores. And that way I'm, I mean, my scraps are obviously from forever, but And when I say scrap also, I'm probably not talking about somebody's normal size scrap. For me, a scrap is like anything smaller than a half yard is a scrap for me. So I do have a pretty extensive catalog of old fabrics in that form. But I keep on these little mini bolts, just what's current. And then when I run low on something, I can go to the warehouse and get more of it to restock it here. But that makes it so that the samples I make are only being pulled from what people can get. And then when I go to make something for myself where that doesn't matter as much, that's when I get into the older stuff. But I have to go offsite to do that. So it's a little tricky. But yeah, I mean, my studio space is is as much as like I have a thing about white, it's all white. Yeah. My ceilings are white, my walls are white, my floor is white. It's it's like a white box. And that's important to me because I only want to see my work when I look around the room. I don't want to see the room. And so that's kind of the first thing I did when I bought this house is I took, cause the hardwood plank floors, we sprayed all down white. Yeah. Everything's white. So yeah. all you see is the fabric and the quilts when you're in the studio. And where do you go in your home when you're doing your hand piecing your EPP? Is there, do you have a special spot you love the most? I do. I have a hand piecing room. <laughs> you do? <laughs> I do. I actually did a video on it a few weeks ago, so you can actually see oh, it. Oh, I'll have to go check um, that out. But it, yeah, I, I don't know what the room is supposed to be in the house. I mean, again, it's like the most unconventional 
floor plan for a home. Like it would be very difficult to raise a family in this house. It's bizarre, which is what I love about it. But when you don't have kids or a partner or anybody else that you have to consider when organizing your space, you can do things like dedicate an entire room to hand sewing. So that's what I've done. And it's actually, it was the library of the house originally. So it's like all bookshelves and, and just like open in the center. And that's where I have like my hand sewing chair with my little table. And then I've got like a TV on the wall. Cause I can't sew while watching TV. And Oh my gosh. Do you press a button on the wall and the bookshelf turns around and it's all thread? No, that would be incredible, but no, I would love a James Bond sewing house. That yeah, would be really that would cool. Be so but no, it's, it's a, but it's, it's funny. Cause I only, I'm only up there at night. I only yeah. hand sew in the evenings. Yeah. I don't know. It's like a weird thing for me. Hand sewing in the daytime feels strange to me. So that's when I machine sew and do other things. But so it's a really beautifully dark, cozy room. And it's probably my favorite place to be outside of my studio. And then third would be my bedroom because I like to sleep also. Yeah, that sounds <laughs> so great. Okay, we can't we can't forget about all these incredible makers who provide you with samples using your fabric. Yeah, that's actually a recent thing. So with with Everglow was sort of the very first time I ever reached outside. Oh, really? Oh, sample I, makers. So have yeah, you made all these samples by yourself. Made, yeah. Wow, that's incredible. Um, I have always made all of my samples, all the bags the quilts. I mean, obviously free spirit will make some quilts, you know, but the main ones I always made myself and anything I showed was almost always made a hundred percent by me. And it's how I connect with it. Like if you don't make things out of your own work, then you don't know if it works, you know? So and let's just, let's just take a second to appreciate that for a moment, because here I have been watching you all these years thinking, oh my gosh, there's the army behind Tula who's making all these things. And you've been doing this yourself. That's really incredible. (laughs) Yeah, I do it myself. I mean, the reason I design quilting fabric and not dishes or wallpaper is because I love to sew. So I'm, I, Early on, I said, that's the one thing I'll never give up is the sewing. Sometimes I have an idea so grand, I can't complete it by myself in the time allotted. So with Everglow, I actually worked with three people from my Instagram community that I've always admired the things they made. And so Cameron was like, you can't make all this stuff yourself. Like, this is insane. And we now had the deadline of quilt market. So for the last three years, we haven't had the deadline of quilt market because of COVID. We haven't had it. So I could kind of make this stuff at my leisure, right? And this time I couldn't. And so I reached out to them and I believe very, very strongly in paying for work. Yeah. And so I led with that. I was like, listen, this is not a favor I'm asking of you. I will pay you for this work properly. And, you know, like no discounts, no nothing. I won't work for free. I won't ask someone else to work for free. I think this idea of working for promotional value is insane and was clearly developed by some evil mastermind because (laughs) it's a crazy thing to ask somebody to do. And they were super game and they did great work. And so I worked with, I'll just give you their Instagram handles because that's the best way to find them. But Strawberry Quilt Cake, Quilting Alyssa, and Rock Baby Scissors, who all three make exceptional things and, and make them very, very well. So I knew that they would be able to 
work at the level I, I really needed because when you take something to a professional industry event, like these things need to be well-made. They can't be slapped together. Yeah. It's a professional show. We're supposed to be the professionals. So it needs to look that way. And they exceeded my expectations a thousand times. So I would definitely be working with all three of them more going forward. And it was a scary thing for me. Like I make everything myself, you know, so I own anything that happens and, you know, mistakes or whatever. And so that was a scary thing for me to sort of work with other people on samples and they put all my fears to rest and all three of them made exceptional things. So I was excited. Okay, great. And I'll have their Instagram handles in the Tuesday podcast preview, so you can check those out. Okay, a couple little things before we get into the lightning round, Robin. Was it Cameron who was kind of the instigator behind the Tula Tuesdays? Oh, yeah, totally. I would have (laughs) never suggested filming a weekly video. That's basically my nightmare. Yeah, I mean, that came about, so I was actually out of the country on a teaching trip when COVID hit. So I was on a cruise ship teaching on a trip. Yeah. When they made the, when they, the mysterious they on the news made the announcement that, you know, all these countries were going to be shutting down travel and entry and exit and all of this stuff. And we didn't really know what was going to happen. So it was actually my mom's birthday. So we had been celebrating and in work, we had worked during the day and then we were out of dinner. We were celebrating. We were like, you know, celebrating mom's birthday and our waiter came up to the table and said just so you guys know it just came across that we're going to be turning around tonight and docking back in Miami by tomorrow morning and everybody needs to be off the ship by like 7 a.m wow because they were afraid we wouldn't be able to get back into the country if we didn't go immediately so mid-trip we turn around the whole thing I mean it was chaos so you know, 5,000 people on this cruise ship are trying to book flights, you know, because none of us expect to be going home. So it was chaos. And, And then we had to go pack because on a cruise ship, you have to have all your luggage out the night before. It was a crazy thing. Yeah. And so basically I got back to the studio the next day, late that night, because it took us a long time to get home last minute, got back home to the studio. And then the next morning, Cameron shows up for work and he's like, okay, you're not traveling you got to do something else. Mm-hmm. I'm like something else, like just be home and have that be nice. <laughs> Let's no. just have a holiday. <laughs> I mean, and that's, I mean, I think that's why we work so well together. It's like, you know, there's no time to be idle. Like if something doesn't work, even if it's not your fault, you got to figure it out and do something else. And so yeah. he goes, you know, you usually spend six to seven months traveling around the world, communicating with all of your people. Yeah you have to fill that some other way. There has to be another way to reach all those people without, you know, now that you can't do this, we have no idea how long. And I think he had the foresight to see that this was going to last a lot longer than I think I thought it would, or many people thought it would. I mean, because I remember him saying, you know, he goes, this could go on for years. I'm like, what? (laughs) No, that's crazy. I was like, I'll be back on the road in like three months. And yeah, three years later, And, and so he goes, let's just do a video. He goes, they don't have to be quick. We're not going to do a highly produced thing. It's not going to be a stressful thing. He goes, you just need to keep in contact with people. Mm -hmm. He's like, that's such a big source of energy for you and your work that you have to do it. And, and so 
we started doing the Tuesday videos and it just became a thing. Yeah. And it is super crazy. And I'm so grateful that we've done it. It's, you know, it's become something I kind of look forward to, even though in the beginning I was like, absolutely not. (laughs) But I think we started them like that very week, like the very next week we started doing the videos and we were looking at something the other day. And I think we're up to like over 150 videos Wow, that we've done, which is crazy. It's brilliant. I mean, I guess I'm saying Cameron's brilliant, right? So let's give yes, him that credit. No, yes. <laughs> let's give For him that real. credit. I shouldn't talk about it so much. Somebody's going to poach him. <laughs> yeah, that's, <laughs> that's like the $1 million will take you away. <laughs> it's been tried. I will say people have tried. He's been headhunted. Yes. Okay. So I'm really interested in this question. I've been trying it out. And I, I don't know how long I'm allowed to say that it's a new question. I've probably asked it a dozen times on my podcast. But what is your favorite time of day? My favorite time of day is early, early morning. Like early morning. And I'm not a morning person. Mm-hmm. Like no one wants to be around me at that time. But that's when I, that's the time of day I like the best. When everyone's still asleep and it's really quiet. And I can like go outside, take a walk, whatever. And there's just no, it feels like you're the only person on planet earth. And I love it. Oh, that's awesome. Okay. So we are about to get into the lightning round, Robin. It's a series of rapid fire questions. It's super fun. Are you ready? Yep. Ready. Okay. What is your must have will travel tool or notion for EPP that you love? Oh, glue pen. Okay. What is a skill you'd love to learn in quilting? Embroidery, like hand embroidery. I'm I'm not great at it. I can do it, but not well. Okay. Have you had any weird, funny, or crazy fan moments? I don't know if it's weird or funny or crazy, but I did have this one thing. Well, it's not the only thing that she's done, but Tracy from Purple Cats Quilting, when I launched Monkey Wrench, showed up with 3D printed neon pink wrenches with my name on them that I don't know who made them. Somebody in her world made them and they were brilliant and they actually worked. Like you could screw them (laughs) in and out. It was pretty cool. Oh, that's so awesome. And she is one of my friends and I believe she is the biggest Tula fan that I have ever met. (laughs) Yeah, she might be. I don't know. She's pretty (laughs) great. though. We've we've had a lot of fun times together over the years at events and things. Okay. What are some of your favorite collections of things that you own? Ooh, I have a collection of glove molds. So hands. Yeah. So what they would make gloves on, I collect glove molds. And so in my in a in my guest room in my house, on top of a shelf, there's just like a whole bunch of hands standing straight up in the air with sizes on them. And I love I have ceramic ones and wood ones and clay ones and all different glass ones. Yeah. And have you ever made have you ever made a pair of gloves? No, I just love that they're hands because I love anything with hands on it. And I discovered that this was a thing that existed and I just started collecting them whenever I saw them. Yeah, it is kind of a beautiful, I don't know how to describe it, but it's like an ode to your hands because this is what Uh you do, right? Yeah, I love that. Hands and eyes. I have lots of things with hands and lots of things with eyes. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. What is Cameron's hobby? Oh, cars. Cars. Yeah, he builds he builds drift cars. Okay. And it's I'm going to 
<laughs> drift cars. That's kind of cool. So he's driving and then they like slam on the brakes and drift for a while or something. Is that yeah, what you mean? Oh, basically. Yeah, kind of. Oh, that's kind of cool. Okay. And what's one memorable holiday gift you've ever received? Oh my gosh. Is that uh, hard? Is that hard? That is hard. That I will say I have a family of pretty epic gift givers. So that is a tough one. A one that I always remember for some reason, which is is super random. And if my mom listens to this, she's gonna completely roll her eyes. It because <laughs> one year, this was many, many years ago. I guess the most memorable present was maybe that sewing machine my grandma gave me when I was 12. That's probably the real answer. Yeah. Maybe I should go with that. Yeah, that's, probably- that's, that's good. You can also tell a little story about your the other one. You well, the other one was, I just like, I'm insanely hard to shop for. I'm very, very difficult to gift because I'm very particular and I don't like things Yeah, really. So it's really, really hard. Like the best gift a person can give me is something perishable, like flowers or like some weird food, like, you know. Stuff like that is really good for me. But no, my aunt gave me this. It was like a long time ago, years and years and years ago. My aunt Marilyn gave me this robe with little candies on it. Like little candies. I don't know why, but I had this like <laughs> like visceral reaction to this thing. I loved it so much. I kept it for years and years and years. And it was like, it's just so memorable as one of like my favorite Christmas gifts. And it was so super random and out of nowhere and no one in a million years would have thought I liked it, but I just loved it. I don't know. I still have it. And okay, it was like, and- I want to say like 20 years ago. <laughs> oh yeah. That's great. Okay. And the last question is, do you have any furry friends in your studio? Oh yeah, definitely. We have a myriad of rotating dogs in this house where we would love dogs deeply in this house. My brother has a dog that I consider mine. It's a little golden retriever that I love more than maybe any human on planet earth. This dog brings me pure joy, but she's the main one who lives here. I even built her an entire dog house with wallpaper and lighting that she can turn on and off herself with like, it's like custom. I built windows into this thing (laughs) and it's, it's built into my staircase. Like it was this void under my staircase. And like, I had a carpenter come in and like build a house under the staircase with windows and doors and lights and everything for this dog that she never goes in it though. She just sits at your feet. So sweet. Okay. What's her name? Lily. Oh, Lily. Lily May. She's actually named after my grandmother, our grandmother who gave me the sewing machine, whose name was Lily May. Oh, how sweet. Yeah. Okay. That was super fun. Thank you for braving the lightning round, Robin. Oh, for sure. I don't know how lightning I was about it. I'm a <laughs> so. That's okay. Usually my questions are super fast and the answers are not. <laughs> so that's okay. <laughs> that's okay. Okay. So we are getting near the end of this podcast episode, but I cannot go through this whole episode without mentioning... Another collaboration? Well, I don't know if it's a collaboration or more of a bestie thing, but Angela Walters. So let's talk oh, about how you got connected with this sweetheart of quilting. talk about Angela Walters. <laughs> yes. Angela is a goddess. I will never, ever have anything bad to say about her because I don't think anything bad exists about her. She is my quilt wife. She is one of my dearest friends and just a mad genius at quilting. And I don't think if you've never seen her work in person, I don't think you can 
fully appreciate how talented she is. Because what I think never really comes across when you only see pictures of her work is actually how tiny it is. Mm. Like, I've seen a lot of quilters do pebbles. Her pebbles are miniature. I mean, these things are like smaller than my pinky fingernail. They are so, so tiny. And like, I want to say like, sometimes her pebbles are like an eighth of an inch. Yeah. And they cover a vast space and she does it quickly. It is magic what she does. Anyway, we could probably do a whole podcast about how much I love Angela Walters. That's a different thing. But yeah, we met kind of by accident. We know how long we've been working together because she quilted the first quilt for me when she was pregnant with her daughter. So, and she actually like quilted my quilt quickly in order to give birth to her daughter. So, so that's how, so as old as Haley is, is how long we've known each other. Yeah. So it's been like, I want to, I think she's like 16 or 17, something like that. Now she's a teenager for sure. Yeah. That's how long we've been working together, but she lives about 45 minutes from me, which is very convenient. And we met totally by accident. We actually have different stories about how we met and it's now been so long and we both told them so many times that (laughs) neither of us really knows which story is the truth (laughs) at this point. But yeah, it was totally by accident. I was looking for a quilter. She was relatively new to quilting professionally. She'd been quilting a while, but not as a business. And I was a relatively new fabric designer And so the beauty of our relationship is that we sort of evolved together Mm -hmm. to the point where I don't really think you can separate us and still really understand each of our work individually. Uh, I mean, her quilting is, is so much a huge part of my quilt. Obviously she's what makes my fiber art into a quilt, right? So my patchwork isn't a quilt until she gets her hands on it. And so we're, it's really, really like we each, and it's really cool because we've each, our businesses have really grown sort of at the same rate, like together, Yeah, which has been really cool. So, and we've been together since the beginning. I I think I'm like her only customer at this point (laughs) because she really doesn't, she doesn't quilt for hire anymore. Yeah. She does all these other things, but she still quilts for me. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, she's magic for sure. Uh, that's so great. Okay, now I'm going to mention this week's prize giveaway. You heard all about it last week, and many of you have probably entered already because we have over 3,500 entries already, but it is open right up until January 1st at 1 p.m. Pacific time. So here's the prize giveaway. Free Spirit Fabrics is giving away the True Colors Tiny Dots and Tiny Stripes 42-piece 5-inch charm pack, the Mythical Solids 40-piece design roll, and the Moon Garden 20-piece Fat Quarter Bundle. All this valued at over $140 US. Orophil is giving away two thread packs. The first is Tula Pink Moon Garden and the second is Tula Sunrise. All this valued at over $160 US. And Oliso is giving away an M2 Pro Mini Project Iron in Pink, of course, valued at $60 US. If you are on the Quilter on Fire email list, you have the link in your inbox already. If you are not, look for the link in the show notes, but get on the list. That is the fastest, easiest way to get the prize link in your inbox every week. And you get extra entries if you like and follow me everywhere on social media. The giveaway runs until Sunday, January 1st at 1pm Pacific, and I'll announce the winner on social media on New Year's Day. 
Okay. I've mentioned your website at tulipink.com where we can find everything you offer. Where's the best place for quilters to connect with you on social media? Instagram and Facebook. I mean, that's where I'm at the most. And we, I mean, I interact with the comments daily, so I know what everybody's up to. (laughs) Okay. So we are down to the last big thing that I really want to talk to you about today. And that is the queen of diamonds. Can you tell us about that? So the queen of diamonds is our new block of the month for next year. It was designed by Chelsea and her team at Pink Door Fabrics, but it's open to all shops. So all shops can participate in the block of the month with their customers. It's a hybrid English paper piecing block with a machine piece sashing for very practical reasons because nobody likes to English paper piece sashing. It's super boring. So we took those easy parts and made the machine. Well, we didn't do anything. I didn't do anything. (laughs) I just designed the fabric, but it's 91 fabrics in this block of the month. So really to do this as a block of the month is the best possible way to get a quilt with this complex amount of materials, right? Like if you wanted to go to a shop and just buy 91 different fabrics in various yardages, that would be quite the undertaking. And although the shop would very much welcome the sale, they would hate you when you left. But yeah, so it's a really, really great quilt to introduce people to English paper piecing. And I'm going to be making it along with everybody, which historically I haven't done with the block of the months. They sort of run on their on their own through the shops. But since this one is squarely in my wheelhouse of English paper piecing, I'm going to make it along with everybody every month. So in one of my Tuesday videos at the beginning of every month, we're going to show I'm going to show the blocks for that month. And I'm going to show you what I've done and what I came across like, oh, watch out for these little ears that are going to hit each other. It's okay, just do this, whatever. And I've never made the quilt because I didn't design it. So this is really Chelsea's project, but and free spirits project. And but I am going to make it with everybody because I really want to have the quilt also. Yeah. So I was like, the best way to do that is just to make it along with everybody else, which is the best way to make a quilt like this, because you really do have to make it in bits when you're doing some handwork. And I just want to emphasize that this is, it's a great quilt, even if you've never English paper pieced, because English paper piecing is magic in that it's one technique the whole time. So it's not like you have to learn a lot of things. It's just one solid technique. You're sewing with your hands and it's the one tool, you know, better than any other tool in your arsenal is your own hands. So it's, and it's a very simple stitch and you just do that very simple stitch the whole time. Yeah. So it's going to be fun. Yeah. It's going to be super fun and I am doing it too. So I am excited. Yeah. I'm good. This is my absolute first block of the month ever. I absolutely. Block of the months are amazing. Yeah. I have never done one before. I'm a textile artist and I'm into Uh modern quilting. I love making quilts. I'm a quilt judge, but I've never done a block of the month before. I generally do my own design. So. um, Well, that's, what's great about a block of the month too, as you're doing it, like maybe you want to change it up. Like you can. Yeah. You totally can do that. And the reason I'm so excited about this is because my year coming up is a year that I'm traveling more than I've ever traveled before. Uh, And I love doing paper piecing on airplanes in airports and that kind of thing. So it is a perfect airplane project. I've done most of my English paper piecing up until the last couple of years has been done on airplanes. 
Yeah. So if we are in December right now, it's really important that people order this right away, right? Because it starts in the spring. Yes. So yeah. So most of the pre-orders are probably closed by now in December, but it'll start shipping like the block of the months will start shipping to customers. I believe in June is when it starts. So it's not like a January, December thing. It's sort of like a June to May situation. I'm so excited about it that I actually already did an episode about it. So go back a couple weeks. I did an episode with Purple Cats Quilting because she's your biggest fan. And we talked all about it start to finish. And it's kind of a really great Canadian quilt shop that she's going to have those pre-sales. So we talked about that too. So if you want to hear more about that project in detail, we go deep into it. And it was really fun. Now, as we wrap up, Tula, what do you want quilters to take away most from our conversation today? Oh, gosh, Uh, nothing. I don't ever try to manage someone else's experience of anything. It's a futile effort. I mean, if you enjoyed something, that would be the best. If something sparked something for you, that would be incredible. But I have zero expectations on that front. Yeah, that is such a great answer. I've never had that answer before. Like that's kind of like it. It's like a you do you answer. Like I'm not going to. Yeah, that's kind of my whole philosophy. Like I'm do you to the core for sure. That is so great. Okay, so Tula, I just loved having you on the show. Thank you so much for sharing your story. Thank you. Thanks for having me. This was fun. So that was my show with Tula Pink. One thing that really delights me in in all the research I've done preparing for this interview and the vast amount of sharing her world that Tula does online, she has the Tula Tuesdays and she has been interviewed many times over the years. One thing that stood out for me was that Everyone seems to ask Tula, what's your favorite this? What's your favorite that? What's your favorite color? What's your favorite fabric? What's your, even what's your favorite quilt? And I remember in one Tula Tuesday, she was talking about a quilt and she suddenly stopped herself and said, this has to be my favorite quilt of all time. And then she said, wait a minute, I say that about every single quilt. And so the thing I love is just the raw kind of, you know, it's like an honest thing that comes out. She said, I guess I have lots of favorites. So she's just really in the moment. And that's that's one really cool thing that I admire about her. Another thing I was left with after this interview today is that the thing that Tula is, is that she's very much at the level of like monster status when it comes to fame. And I'm, I'm using that word in a very, you know, loving way, but she's very, very big in the quilting world. And like, sometimes people stop dead when they see Tula walk by. And so having said that, I mean, it makes sense. She's delivered thousands of designs to her fans at such a high level and with such consistency that there's Tula troops, actually. My point here is that despite all of her success, she's very real in the moment and focused on bringing her best self to her community. And I loved sharing her story with you today. Are you a quilter who wants to get creative and take a step into textile art? Well, you've come to the right place. Introducing the Square One Bootcamp. Stepping into textile art. Join the Quilter on Fire, that's me, for a three-day boot camp starting January 3rd. For a creative escape you need after the holiday madness, you'll make a small textile art piece start to finish over three days with your own original art element as the feature. This is the perfect place to get your creative groove on. Go to quilteronfire.com. Registration closes January 2nd.
Oh, and one more thing. I'm going back to London. I'm so excited. My trip to the Festival of Quilts Birmingham was so much fun last year. You might have had a little bit of FOMO when I was posting all the best bits on social media. It was amazing. And they've asked me to do it again. It's coming up in August and there are limited spots available. So call Judy at Opulent Quilt Journeys today. 1-877-235-3767. And now if you've made it to the end of both of these Tula Pink episodes, past all these little commercials at the end, you are in for a little surprise because I asked Tula one more bonus question at the end. So here goes. What is one English paper piecing tip that you must share with your students every time you teach? I know it's your favorite thing to teach. So Mm -hmm. what's what's one big tip that you just must share? I think the most important tip is consistency over perfection. A lot of people strive for perfection. It's a futile effort. It's a useless waste of time. And it doesn't really matter as much as consistency does. So don't worry about how tight your baste is or how good your stitch or how close together your stitches are. Make sure your stitches are the same every time and your baste is the same every time. And that is far more important than it being perfect. Oh, that's a great tip because sometimes if you baste too tightly, it's hard to get that stitch in. Exactly. If you you baste a little looser, it's easier. That's okay too. It just needs to always be that loose because if you have a loose baste and a tight baste, then your pieces won't fit together. So consistency is far more important than perfection. Yeah, that's so great. What an excellent tip. And what what type of thread, what weight of thread do you use for EPV? I use 50 weight or a okay. full 50 weight. So it's the same weight I use for machine sewing. It's strong enough because you have to remember when you're English paper piecing, that thread between the two pieces is the only thing holding them together. Yeah. So going to an 80 weight thread, it's just not strong enough. Yeah. And cotton thread is by far superior to any other type of thread when it comes to English paper piecing, which I'll talk about in my videos. I feel very strongly about it. And I have backup research to support it. But 50 weight Aurifil thread is, in my opinion, by far the best thread for English paper piecing. Well, what a great way to end this show with a bonus tip about English paper piecing. Consistency is far more important than being perfect. So that's a wrap on my two-part series with Tula Pink. It was so fun to have her on the show. I hope you liked it. And if you did, please write a review or share this podcast with a friend. Thank you for listening to the Quilter on Fire podcast. Until next time, dream big and have fun in the studio with the Quilter on Fire.